Okay, it is week three of Code Red on Earth as it is at Mission Hills Christian Church. And you have a new host this week. That's right. I've entered Ryan's home and I've hid the body. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. My name is Lena and I am hosting today. Now, for those of you who already know me, you are probably already imagining the direction that I'm going to take the climate change discussion in. For those of you who don't know me, I am a member of Mission Hills Christian Church, and I am also a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. So there's your disclaimer right there about the direction this is going in. <laughs> All right, so for week three of climate change, my theme is climate change is class struggle. When Ryan first told me uh, that he wanted me to host week three, uh, we were talking about the recent report that had come out on climate change and, you know, just really all the horrible things it was saying. And, um, you know, it's it's a downer. Definitely. <laughs> um, it's all true, but it is definitely a downer. And uh, when he was asking about my perspective on it, um, he was surprised because I was actually very optimistic um, in terms of what we can do and how much we can change in the world as a community. Now, I am very aware that the report and also just about any other mainstream news headline that you read often uh, puts the blame of climate change on individuals, specifically working class people. <laughs> now, here's where it gets into class struggle. So the blame is put on regular working class people. You and me, and we are told that it is our individual actions that is going to change the state of climate change right now on Earth, and that each and every single one of us is responsible. So, you know, the day that I don't end up recycling a plastic water bottle, well then, you know, that's the reason why so much life in the ocean died. It's not because BP spilled tons of oil into it. It's because I didn't recycle a water bottle. Uh, <laughs> so it is a lie because the rich and corporations are more responsible for climate change and do more damage. In fact, even if I did recycle every water bottle I ever drank, it would not it would not make up for the fact that companies like BP do spill oil into the ocean. They do damage the environment and no amount of recycling that I do, no pace that I could possibly humanly do it at would ever counteract the effects of that. The top 1% produce 175 times more emissions than the bottom 10%. But it is the bottom 10% that feel the most effects of those emissions. So what does that mean? That means that us living in LA County and very much so the people who live directly in LA, they're the ones affected by pollution. When, when, 
when things start to go bad, <laughs> this is me censoring myself here. <laughs> I was immediately just going to start cursing them out, but I'm, I'm going to be better than that for Mission Hills Christian Church. Uh, when things start to go bad, <laughs> it is poor regular people who are affected by it most. Why? We can't move. Most of us really cannot just pack up and move when a disaster rolls along. Um, the people who were affected recently by Hurricane Ida, many homes were destroyed and many people, they, they stayed in their homes. They're not able to just pick up all their stuff and get a new home. They're also not evacuated. Um, and it's not the rich who were affected by Hurricane Ida. They're perfectly fine. So individual behavior does not alter the production model. The production model is what creates vast majority of waste and pollution beyond the control of individuals. No matter how I act, there's still going to be the same amount of oil being produced and consumed from the earth. 100 companies have been the source of 71% of emissions since 1988. And to further push just how this is framed in the media, <laughs> The Guardian uh, just recently uh, was referring to how the Carbon Majors report pinpoints how a relatively small set of fossil fuel producers may hold the key to systemic change on carbon. The top being Chevron, BP, ExxonMobil, Shell, you know, the gas stations that we're used to seeing everywhere. Hold the key. <laughs> they are not the solution to themselves. And that's that's one thing that we have to acknowledge when we read such pessimistic headlines, like the report that recently came out, that, first of all, they're always going to frame themselves as the solution to being their own problem, <laughs> which they're, they're not going to do that. They, the, but the headline will never directly attack them. The headline will either say that we, as individuals with our individual actions, are responsible for climate change, or that the company that is responsible for climate change can fix it on their own if we just trust them. <laughs> now, these headlines, they're a complete lie. And why? If, if, they admit that even they caused the problems, why is there the focus on the individual? And the thing is, is that that's one of the many ways that by putting the focus on us, it diverts attention from the system as a whole. The system being capitalism. Because Chevron, BP, ExxonMobil, and Shell, they destroy the planet because they get so much money from it. Even the accidental oil spills, that's not a big enough cost for them to stop trying to get money. So then people end up turning on each other. Instead of turning against these major companies, we end up turning on each other for consumer choices instead of joining to fight a system that puts profit over people. I end up, you know, blaming Ryan saying, oh, uh, Ryan, you're um, not using, uh, what's, what is it now, recyclable straws? And that, I, I have more hatred at that point towards Ryan 
than towards the major companies that are causing uh, climate change and so many climate disasters. So the headlines, like the report that recently came out, despite the pessimism that they try to instill in us, I remain very optimistic in our future because I know that there is a goal to the pessimism in the headline. I know that there is a goal to the information that we're being given. I'm not saying the information is false or inaccurate. It is true that there are disasters, but the idea that the disasters are inevitable, that the disasters are on us, or that the disasters can be fixed by the people who are causing the disasters, that that is intentional. And that itself is not accurate. Capitalists want you to think that capitalism is adaptable to the climate change. They don't want you to think, oh, we need something different because this isn't working. We need a different system. No, they want you to think this capitalism can respond to climate change and it can produce enough to adapt to a changing climate. The problem is capitalism has never produced what is needed. It has and always will produce what brings profit, exploiting workers and the environment. Recently, The Economist magazine actually said that climate change might be, quote, the death knell of economic freedom, specifically because all the changes that would be required to effectively combat climate change would be a disaster for big companies like Chevron, BP, ExxonMobil, and Shell. They would take such a huge hit to their profits if they can no longer exploit workers and exploit the environment like they do. And they tell us that it's fine that we can continue like this, but as things get worse, people are really starting to realize that if we continue like this, people are going to die. People already died in Hurricane Ida. People died in Hurricane Katrina. It's been going on for years and decades, but it's going to get worse. And that part is true. Another huge institution that is very largely to blame for a lot of pollution and climate change right now is the military industry in the US. Specifically, military bases, the Pentagon, and defense contractors. The military is the largest institutional emitter of warming gases on the planet. Bases, occupations, and wars amplify the warming climate. And just so you have an idea of how expansive the U.S. military system is, the U.S. has almost 800 military bases across the world. And the U.S. spends more on their military than the next 10 countries combined. Now, one thing that I often hear when discussing climate change and who is to blame is that people will say, oh, well, um, the U.S., they're, they're, they're trying but what about China? Like, China is a much bigger polluter than the U.S. So think about what I just told you right now with how the U.S. has almost 800 military bases across the world and spends more than the next 10 countries combined. 
In comparison, China only has one military base in another country. And they are, I will get into it later, but they are doing a lot more for the environment than the U.S. is. So not only is there also headlines that will tell you, oh, the blame is on you, the individual, but there are so many headlines that will say the blame are on other countries, specifically countries that we know that the U.S. doesn't like. And again, this is to deflect blame from the system itself. Now, one headline that I often see uh, regarding actual uh, China is uh, it's in the region of Xinjiang in China. It is the largest oil and mineral reserve in China. And you will see headlines talking about how the U.S. must take action there and China can't be allowed to expand there. Why do we receive this media for the largest oil and mineral reserve that they have in that country? Think back on when we had entered the Iraq war, how much of that was based on lies and it was just to get oil. There are so many countries around the world that have so many sources of oil and our country that says that they are so focused on diminishing climate change they are constantly looking towards the next oil source again and again. The media uh, does end up receiving funds from several rich corporations like the ones I listed. And that does affect the way that they provide information to us on climate change. I mean, I already you know, gave you guys just a little bit of an idea but like, here's an example. So when I mentioned the Xinjiang in China having the largest oil and mineral reserve and that there are headlines saying, oh, we need to go to war here. Um, what will they do with all that oil as if the oil would be in better hands if it was in the US's hands? So you can actually see online what corporations donate to uh, news stations and to certain headlines. And media like CNBC actually receives funds from the following. They receive funds from Chevron, from the US Department of State, from JP Morgan and Chase, from Raytheon, which is a defense contractor, from Lockheed Martin, another defense contractor, And all of these headlines that come out, they serve the purpose of war. War is inherently tied to climate change. The military is tied to climate change because it is through war that they get their most valuable resource, which is oil. But war completely destroys the climate here. Specifically, the US military completely destroys the climate through war. For example, since the start, of the war in 2001, 1.2 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases were released during that war. That is equal to 257 million cars, which is double the amount of the cars driving in the US today. So think about how much pollution just regular traffic releases. 
U.S. wars, specifically the one recently in the Middle East, it has released double that amount of pollution. So again, when new sources are funded by oil and military profiteers, they will tell you what the problems are. They will tell you our planet is being destroyed, but they will not tell you how to solve it. They'll say recycle, but they won't say liquefy the Pentagon. They won't say close down Chevron. They won't create things that take away the need for oil. You recycling isn't going to stop them from fracking or bombing other countries for oil. Now, hold with me here. I'm getting to the optimistic part. <laughs> um, so lastly, in regards to the significance of how I said, liquefying the Pentagon, the fact that the Pentagon does so much damage, that the military does so much damage. In 2020, we were already undergoing a disaster here in the U.S. It was the COVID pandemic. It's still going on. And when people needed help, the Pentagon got $778 billion during a pandemic where people only got about three stimulus checks to survive for a whole year. And there were widespread climate disasters going on, like fires at the time, if you guys remember. $778 billion. How much of that could have gone towards helping people? And this goes back to the point that I said that capitalism, it has never produced what is needed. It's always going to produce what brings profit. And there is so much money there that could have helped people during 2020 that could have saved lives and they didn't. So the expectation that companies and company funded headlines are trustworthy when they say, oh, we will fix the problem when the problem comes. We will help you. We will make what you need to survive. It's a lie. So I said that we need systemic change. Now, the systemic change, as you may have predicted already, is going from capitalism to socialism. Now, I here's where I'm going to give the examples of what China, a socialist country, has done in response to climate change. And again, yes, many headlines will say that they are the main cause of pollution, but the facts do not hold that up. And more so, the U.S. inarguably wants war with China. War is always profitable for the U.S. And it is for the benefit of the rich at our cost and at the cost of the environment. The working class people in other countries are not our enemies. The enemies of the rich are not our enemies. We as regular working class people in America have more in common with the regular people of China than we will ever have with the rich and politicians here. So I invite everyone right now just to imagine a world where we have a different government that prioritizes regular workers over the rich. How would our infrastructure and climate change look if we worked together with other countries because war was no longer a priority in this country? 
if improving the lives of the poor and improving our environment was a priority. So this has already been done several times in China. For anyone who's not too familiar, China is a socialist state. It does have a workers' government that prioritizes workers over the rich and over corporations. And it has recently taken many climate change initiatives. For example, their clear waters and green mountains policy. After 15 years, China has actually become the global leader in reforestation. It has created a quarter of the world's new green areas. Imagine we had a conversation and us here created another quarter of the world's new green areas. Imagine the change that that would have towards climate change. Additionally, China is also the world's largest producer of solar energy products. And Xinjiang has actually taken the lead in the country's renewable energy revolution, allowing it to become the engine of global value chains, driving up the uptake of solar and wind energy. Imagine if we increased our use of renewable energy. Imagine if we actually worked together with China to also improve existing products. Imagine the world that we could create if this country had a government by workers for workers who prioritized healthcare, environmental protections, renewable energy, fixing the stupid potholes and cracks that we see on our way when we're driving to work, making sure everyone has a house, making sure everyone has education, making sure our cities have more trees and parks and green spaces so it's not a cement hell gathering heat on summer days, creating transportation where one vehicle gets 100 people to several locations in faster time and less pollution instead of having a hundred cars jamming the freeway, causing angry traffic drivers and spreading exponentially more pollution than one public transportation vehicle ever could. Imagine what the world would look like if we had a government made up of working class people who put taxpayer money into all of that instead of war. Because the truth is the rich want war. Regular people, they don't. We just got out of a war in Afghanistan, which costed 2.25 trillion taxpayer dollars. We don't want more war or Pentagon spending. We want to fix the climate change crisis. And not only is that spending inhumane to the people who get bombed across countries, it's also inhumane to us. Because while the pandemic was going on and people were getting evicted, canceling people's rent and housing debt would have been under 2% of that 2.25 trillion taxpayer dollars that went into this war for two decades now. Now, yes, the climate, it's always subject to change through time. So when I am providing these solutions, I'm not saying that everything's going to be undone or that the climate isn't 
going to change. Of course, the world will always naturally change. But we do not have a system of government that works to protect us and build infrastructure to withstand that change. Again, when Katrina showed up, we have our government had all the money, all the resources to evacuate people, to take them out, to house them, to protect their property. And they didn't. And again, this year during Hurricane Ida, where did the money go? The money went to sending police to protect properties from being looted. They didn't send police to help people, to save them, um, to evacuate them. People died and what mattered at that point was the property being looted. So we have to acknowledge that when we are talking about a problem like climate change, we have already been given several examples where property will always be valued over our own lives. That is what happens under a capitalist government. Property and profit are the most valuable things that they have. Under a socialist government, we could have immediate housing to fix homelessness. There is a surplus of unused private property and hotels that could become houses and apartments. We would have effective public transportation we would have less traffic congestion and traffic pollution. So imagine how healthy we could be if we actually reserved more into public transportation, into infrastructure, into taking care of our people, how much, how much longer we could live. Now, when I am talking about holding the government accountable for climate change. And when I'm talking about the things that the way, the many ways in which that they fail us, I'm not just talking about, oh, we need to tax the rich. Because yes, I mean, while they do deserve higher taxes, if already we've had proof that 2.25 trillion of regular taxpayer money went to war in the Middle East, rich people's taxes is just going to fund the same thing even more. <laughs> so progressional reforms like higher taxes, it's, it's not going to fix climate change. At least not in time. There will be many more Hurricane Katrinas and Hurricane Idas taking lives in the time that we are talking about, oh, let's only just tax them a little bit more, take some scraps from them. Because Many more lives will be taken than the lives that will be saved by taxes as long as our system of government keeps working in the interest of the rich. They're already building their own solutions. We hear Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos talking about space travel as a solution for climate change, but that's really just an exit plan that's available only to the wealthy. Workers, the poor, people of color, they're the most affected by climate change and they are not gonna be welcome on any rocket ship. What we have to change, what we actually have to change 
in order to change our climate is we have to change our system. We have to change what is produced, how it is produced, and who and where it goes to. This is only going to change when we as workers are the ones in control of production. What does it mean to get in control of production? How is that accomplished? To get in control of production requires socialist revolution. Now, many people don't like the word revolution because they associate it with violence. But the oppressive violence is already here against the people and the planet. The entire beginning was just going over how much violence the military does, how much violence oil companies do. So to be against the concept of revolution, of changing your society, is to choose to just sit with that status quo violence, which whether you agree with that violence or not, it will kill people anyway, potentially you. Rather than want change that saves lives. Many also think that they do not have the power to do something as remarkable and life-changing as the socialist revolution. And yeah, as individuals, we definitely don't. That is true. In the same way that us recycling as individuals are not going to counteract the effects that Chevron and the Pentagon are having on climate change. There is no one great heroic person or one great heroic act that can do that. But that is why I am emphasizing the power of an organized community. Organized people around history and today have accomplished amazing actions that seemed impossible. Us here in Mission Hills, we recently all donated a total of $1,100 to Haiti to help with relief from the recent earthquake. That's an amazing number for a small church and it happened through community organizing. I myself as an individual, I can't give $1,100 to my own to Haiti as much as I'd like to because I'm poor. I wouldn't be able to pay my rent and other expenses. But all of us being organized as a community towards this goal allowed us to do so. Another example of effective organization in May of this year in Los Angeles, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, Answer Coalition, which stands for Act Now to Stop War and End Racism, they worked together with the Palestinian youth movement and other organizations to create a mass anti-war rally against the attacks on Palestine. These were protests over 75 U.S. cities across the nation. Over 12,000 people came out in Los Angeles. I was there. I, I could not see the end of the crowd. And everyone there was against war and they were supporting the liberation of Palestine and spoke to how so much money that is going towards destructive wars can be used to build our society, can be used to fix so many disasters that we are going through right now. 
So you might ask, okay, how was such a big protest built? So as an individual, you think, I can't get 12,000 people out into the street by myself. (laughs) So what do you do? You get organized. You don't even have to start from scratch to get organized. There are so many organizations in Los Angeles, like Party for Socialism and Liberation. So when you're in an organization and there's a big issue going on like war, climate change, almost everyone's against it. But as individuals who are disconnected from each other and don't talk to each other, we don't know where to start. But as an organized community, this is how you get 12,000 people out on the street together. You make a plan together. You agree to do a protest on this time and date. You share your skills and knowledge to produce and obtain materials for the protest. Everyone pitches in money to buy banners and paint as a group, and they come together to paint the banner slogan as a group. So far, this is all everything that we as humans can do. We don't need to be rich to do this. We don't need to be super smart to do this. We need to be organized. Someone in this community knows graphic design. They can design the poster announcing the event. Bring your skills to the table. Then you do outreach. You post the event on social media. You go door to door with with the flyer. You pass the flyer at metro stations, shopping centers, marketplaces, parks. You can find people almost everywhere that you can give a flyer to. You contact other local organizations to join you and they do the same thing. They're doing outreach too. They're passing out flyers too. Together, you are reaching so much of the city. And this is all still everything that is possible and right in our grasp as humans. This is very easy to do if you join an organization. So on the day of the protest, you're at the location. You set up your banners, your signs. Everyone has a job. Someone's on the mic. Someone's doing security. Somebody's doing chanting. You make noise, you make it very obvious where the protest is and people come, 12,000 people come and it is an amazing display of people power, of community power, of the power of an organized people. Now, I'm not saying that getting 12,000 people together like that is as simple as one, two, three. But what I'm emphasizing is that what we find impossible to do as individuals like taking on the climate change crisis, the things that seem overwhelming and too big for us, these are things that are actually very humanly possible and within reach as an organized community and more. Imagine what else we can do. If we can do all of that just as a small organization, if we can get 12,000 people together on the streets, to protest war. Imagine what else we can do. And there's a lot that we actually don't even have to imagine because it's been done. So in 1917, Russia, a country of majority peasants and workers, organized and overthrew a czar. That's a ruler appointed by God. He should be untouchable, but they did it. And it's amazing and courageous, and it was right to do so. So this is what organized people, this is what courageous people have done in the past. So what is a company like Chevron in comparison to all of this? 
It's just a company with rich people. It's not even gods or kings. To think of defeating such institutions as these billionaire companies and pentagons as impossible is not only pessimistic. It's ahistorical and it's diminishing our own power as an organized society. Imagine what we as people in such an abundant country who have more education and resources available to us than peasants in 1917. Imagine what we are capable of achieving when we are organized for socialism. Imagine the kind of world we can achieve when we work together with our neighbors to actually address the perpetuators of climate change instead of blaming our neighbors. Imagine what a workers' government would look like. We working class people, we already know what we need and what we want. So imagine a government by us that actually provides that. The main takeaway here is just that despite all the pessimistic headlines about climate change, where Chevron said, yep, I'm harming the environment, but you are to blame because you didn't recycle. We have to hold awareness of who funds those headlines and what they get out of your pessimism and blame. We must never stop having that revolutionary optimism that we can win. We must never lose sight of what we can have and what we can be. We have to organize. We have to talk to your neighbors about what's affecting your community because I promise you, many feel the same way. Form a neighborhood committee. Join or sponsor a revolutionary socialist organization. Join me in Party for Socialism and Liberation. Everything that we can achieve for a world beyond climate change cannot be achieved alone. We do need each other. We as working class people, the ones most affected by climate change, need to stand together against the rich who are willing to let the planet burn for money. So again, never let them take hope or courage away from you. Talk to your neighbors about these issues. Create or join an organization because when we fight, we win. Thank you for your time, everyone. I hope that that helped. I hope that you are filled with as much optimism and a fire to fight as I am. And I will see you all Sunday. <laughs>